0: This is the Horse Radio Network. We're talking to not one, but three authors this week about their published works. One is Doug Payne, who also happens to be your 2022 Kentucky Three Day Event National Champion. This week, we're sipping on Dirty Shirley's and spilling about our favorite books. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin.
1: I'm Jessica Payne.
2: And I'm Ellie Woznica. Welcome to episode 98 of Heelstown Happy Hour.
0: Hey guys. Hey everybody. Hello. So, Jess, I have a million questions about Kentucky and just how you survived with how many horses you guys had. Um, but wow, I mean, what a weekend.
1: And I know it's going to be awesome. We're going to talk more about it in a little bit, but holy cow, what a weekend. I'm pretty sure it was like a range of every kind of emotion out there too. So it was like by the end of it, I was like emotionally drained, physically drained, all of the above. And I can't even imagine like Doug and Courtney as well. Like it was, it was a great weekend, but it was, I think, I think I hit every one of the emoji feelings. Um, I think my face was every one of those, to be honest, all weekend long. from running up the hill after the mayor to you know quantum being third and the highest placed american like it was just everything so it was pretty awesome this
0: episode is brought to you by purina so ellie you got a drink for us
2: i do the dirty shirley
1: of course it is
2: (laughs) (laughs) have you guys ever had a dirty shirley
1: i have and it makes me it definitely makes me think of you actually (laughs) That's funny. I just read a story about
0: it in the New York Times. They're calling it the the drink of the summer this year. So. Really?
1: Yeah. So Okay. So, you're so it's like a mix of Ellie and Justine, like trendy and simple. <laughs> like, I feel like it's
3: exactly that. All
0: right, All
3: right
2: Ellie, so, give it to us. Yeah. So we're going to start with two ounces of vodka and you're going to pour that over ice in your tall glass. You're going to drizzle one ounce of your grenadine and a half ounce of lime juice over that. Then you're going to top the glass with about four ounces of lemon-lime soda or a combination of um, lemon-lime soda and ginger ale. Uh, and then you're going to give everything a good stir, and you garnish with a little uh, cherry or two and a lime wedge. I skip that part because that's, you know. <laughs> too much. Too fancy. <laughs> too much
1: cherry. Right? It's already That gets done. too trendy. That gets too trendy.
2: <laughs> I do sometimes use, like, the cherry 7-Up with this, and that's also pretty good.
1: Oh, that would be good. Yum. All right. So, so let's get to the most important
0: part of this episode is <laughs> <laughs> with all the, the, the part we've been dying to talk about, right? So Jess, you've got somebody with you.
1: I do. Guys, I brought Doug on so that he could share all his highs, lows, and everything about Kentucky. So welcome, hon. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Hi, Doug. Congrats.
4: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. I had, if I had put money on it before, I would have picked another horse for it. But Quantum really stepped up in an amazing way and pretty incredible.
0: It was very cool to watch, especially the last day. It was just, it was very cool to watch. Um, so yeah, thoughts tell us, I mean, you must have gone through a lot of emotions too, um, from star witness to Van Diver to quantum to the, some of the younger horses you had in the four star.
4: Yeah, no, it's, we had five there. So we had two in the four star, two in the five star and one in the three star jumping invitational. And so it made for definitely a busy week but in some ways i think that's easier because you don't have a whole lot of time to think about what just happened and all you can really focus on is what's coming up and sort of get your mind on to the next thing that said yeah it was it was a crazy week of all sorts of emotions um you know four star horses we had carl or camarilla there he's he's just nine this year and this would be his i don't know fourth advanced and he's just an absolute beast he's not terribly trained he's Definitely a bit rogue at this point, but um, he cantered around and and really stepped up, and he's going to be an incredible horse for the future. Um, he's going to try on this week in the four star long. Uh, star Witness came out was winning after dressage. It was probably one of the best tests that you know that she's ever done, and. We had just leading up to it, I was thinking, uh, you know, should I school this coffin or not? We, I have one built for her, and I was like, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll skip it for this week, and that was totally the wrong move. Yeah. Um, she jumped over, saw the ditch, stopped to look at it, and then I just did the old bunny club, like, slide down the neck, pull the bridle off, and then she just takes a snack. So um, <laughs> so we came home, and we did some schooling, and we're good to go for it. She's doing the four-star long also this coming week. Uh, then what are we have in the five-star if I had put money on the top place horse that we had and would have had a really good shot at it, I would have put money on Van Diver, but yeah, probably about a third of the way around cross country. It was just clear to me that he wasn't a hundred percent himself. And at the age of 18, like he doesn't owe me absolutely anything. So I don't think I'd ever forgive myself if something went wrong. So we decided honestly, halfway around cross country that this would be his last five star and he would start to, you know, make the step down and he Absolutely loves it, right? So, we're um, it'll be a really cool thing. But July 10th, everybody should be there at Carolina Horse Park. Uh, Courtney, that's been our long time or his longtime groom and our manager and such, is going to take him to the warhorse at Carolina. And then so after excited. that, we'll probably try to find a young rider to to lease him so he can continue going. Because if he you, if you stuck him in a field, he'd be totally miserable. But, um, I mean, he's dead sound and he's in great, great shape, so he probably can go prelim or below till he's 25 you know oh my Um, gosh
0: and how cool for courtney that'll be really exciting
4: oh i mean i had to i gotta say like for the entirety we've had him for eight years seven years eight years now i would say we were pretty close to 50 50 as far as the amount of time in the saddle like she does almost all his conditioning all the hacking we do a lot of walking with these horses to get them fit enough and yeah quinn is like her child so it's going to be pretty special and I think she's. Um, a number of people have asked if she's going to let me groom, which the answer is totally no. There's not a chance.
1: <laughs> <But> she would <laughs> never.
4: So I'm sure she's got like a laundry list of five star grooms, I think that are going to be out there to cheer on and help and and uh, get everything going. So it should be a whole lot of fun. I'm
1: not even sure she's going to let you coach her.
4: No, probably not.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> she, she knows that works very very well. So it's uh, it, it it'll be perfect. I can't wait to watch. Yeah, and then from there, what, and then Quantum, right? So dressage was actually stepping in the right direction i had made a sort of tactical error this spring we had um we we're like oh we should try and put a flash on because sometimes he opens his mouth a little bit not bad whatever but he's super super sensitive and frankly in all honesty it totally backfired so about a week before i was like forget this we're check, check, chucking the flash off again and he just does all three phases in a snaffle like plain noseband no like nothing. a
1: hunter bridle yeah
4: like totally nothing and he's like super happy there so honestly i was thrilled because his test was way better not as good as it could be but way better than it was trending so um that was a, a great start but you know i think we were you know we were down a bit after Chassage. and he's such a good galloper and he came off of maryland last fall in great shape so i said we'll we'll take a shot at this and
1: um he was fast yeah
4: he was super fast he was three seconds over and and then jumped double clear i think he's He's what one of there's just a handful of double clear show jumping. And I think he's now done three, five stars and he hasn't had a rail yet. So um, pretty exciting for him. And I guess actually for everybody out there too, maybe you guys can put it in the show notes, but I did also post a helmet cam video of his cross country that we did a full sort of narration along with it. So I'll have to get you guys that link.
2: Oh yeah. That'll be fun.
4: And what? Oh, and then the show jumper, right? Then we had quintessence over in the, in the jumping. So he's uh an 11 year old also quantum's 11 too and as a star witness and so he's kind of just getting to the top level and so definitely a big ask I me mean, it's probably the one of the biggest tracks he's ever jumped set at a meter 60 and um we had two down but honestly just super super green you know little mistakes that that you know margin for error is time but just a crazy exciting horse for the for the future
0: Okay, well, so you've had a few days to rest after Kentucky. So um, I hear you're doing something special tonight, though, Doug.
4: Yeah, uh, totally awesome. So I was contacted by the Carolina Hurricanes, and we've got Game 5 hockey playoffs for those that don't follow hockey. And the Hurricanes have a siren that starts up the period. So basically second intermission, 15-minute mark in. Just before the third period, I'm ringing the siren for uh, for the Canes game tonight.
0: Oh, my my gosh, that is so cool. (laughs) Yeah.
4: And club level VIP parking, the whole deal. They're they're setting it up. So we're completely looking forward to it. We've got a babysitter. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome.
1: Very cool. So, Ellie, you have pretty exciting news about Kentucky as well. Kind of give us your news item.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, pretty popular right now, but it's the 80 to one long shot with Rich Strike for the Kentucky Derby win. I don't know. Have you guys seen the the videos?
1: Uh, I saw it live and then watched it over and over and over again. He was third to last to start I, off I and just zigzagged. Yeah, it was and wild. Found holes that I didn't even know existed in life, to be honest. Yeah. And so I was watching an interview or something. Maybe it was that day. And they're talking about taking him to one of the other big races or something else that is actually a long horse. Like, he runs long format. So, the Preakness should be interesting. But the Belmont is the one that they were actually trying to do as a long um, track and stuff. So, I'm super excited because who knew? Like, I mean, you never know. Maybe we do have a Triple Crown winner on our hands.
2: Yeah. I mean, and not to discredit Rich Strike in any way, but, I mean, that was some impressive jockeying. Oh, Um, like unbelievable you know, the crazy turns and things at such a high speed are definitely, um, impressive. But what I wanted to mention was that the, the trainer actually almost like quit training, uh, in 2016 because he actually lost, uh, 23 of his horses, his thoroughbred horses in a barn fire. Um, so this was kind of like his, you know, he was like determined to not, you know, let this ruin him or anything like that. And, He ended up claiming rich strike. I think I saw somewhere for like um, $30,000, which is insane considering what he's worth now. But it's just wild in general, you know, the the whole thing. Uh, The horse wasn't even supposed to be in the race until like the day before because someone else scratched. I think
1: they entered at 8 a.m. No, it was an early morning ad or something crazy.
2: Yeah, it was definitely wild. Um, And definitely wild to watch. Like made me a little teary-eyed even though I'm not really like a big you know, racing fan. No. Um So it just, it was definitely, definitely
0: one for the record books, I think.
1: For sure. And speaking of record books as well, is Justin, what do you have for us?
0: Yeah, seriously. Another fairy tale story is if you it's- watch Bad Badminton at all over the weekend. I mean, watching Laura Collette on um, London 52 was just like, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it again. I mean, she just... Stormed her way to a brilliant finish to finish on a 21.4 score, which is the lowest ever finishing score ever at badminton. Um, and it was just she was so wonderful in her celebration and just you know over and over again thanking her, her horse. Um, and it, it was just very cool to see. And I know she has a really great story of. You know overcoming some crazy obstacles too and to and then to come to badminton and just like put put together like a, a performance like that like from start to finish was just really tremendous to watch so badminton's heart like it's harder for us to watch in the states right because the the live streams are at, at different times you know it's like very early in the morning but it's just even if you go back and watch the highlights it's just a performance that will like it's just, wow. You know, it it just was very cool to see. Um, and we had, it was amazing. It was so cool. And it it was just, it was a tough track. I mean, you saw a lot of spills, a lot of, you know, a lot of hard riding out there. Um, and plenty of big names, you know, that were were just at Kentucky. And then a week later in badminton with other horses, um, it it was just, you know, world-class riding at its finest. And was very, very excited to see that finish for sure.
2: And just a shout out to everyone who has donated to us on Patreon. We really appreciate everybody who contributes every month or every once in a while or only once. Uh, we really appreciate you guys helping us continue to make this podcast and share these stories with you guys. If you are interested in donating, go to www.patreon.com. That's
0: dot com slash Heels Down. Okay, guys, so this week we are celebrating Buy a Horse Book Day, which is a holiday that is the first of its kind, uh, in that we are partnering with Trafalgar Square Books, which publishes a bunch of equestrian authors, including Doug, to just promote authors of equestrian and horse related books from all over the world. It was a super fabulous, fun day on Tuesday where authors got together on social media to share their work, but also readers uh, shared with us their, you know, their favorite books and why they touched them and why they were important to them. So I figured it would be fun to ask you guys, do you have a favorite horsey book that, you know, is always stuck with you?
1: So I have some books that I really like and everything else that are horsey, but what I really want is from the listeners to actually, I have been dying to know about the book, The Horsewomen by James Patterson. I haven't read it yet, so I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. It's one that I've been interested in reading and everything else, and it's from like a show jumping point of view with James Patterson, and it's very kind of different, so I would love to know what anybody thinks. Like, what the you guys have heard? Have you read it? Have you listened to it? Like, what is it? And I'd love to know your thoughts. So, have either of you read the book? I have not. I
0: have not. No. But I have so, heard good things. Yeah. I
1: have. And I, I just, I'm. since we're talking about like course books, like that's like on the forefront of my mind. And it's weird because I was literally just like, oh, not that I've had any time to sit down and read right now, but I'm going to California. So I was going to maybe look at getting it to go on the plane and read it then. So I'm not leaving for a couple weeks. So I would love to know you guys' thoughts. So I'm sure... Ellie has a ton of horse books that she's like obsessed with, but I really just wanted everybody's (laughs) opinion on about this book, to be honest.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely on my list too, Jess. It looks really good. So
1: I'll let you know, like, please, you guys know. And if I end up doing it, I'll read it while I'm in California. So Ellie, what are your favorites though? I know you have a bunch.
2: Okay. I have a bunch because I, you know, I was an English major. I have a you know, master's degree in, in book publication. Uh, so I, am kind of a book nerd anyway. Um, and then with the horses, of course, uh, they mix together. So, I mean, there are a lot of biographies that I really like. Um, you know, I think the faraway horses, Buck Brannaman's autobiography is definitely one that I really enjoy. And then of course there's the no hurdle too high, which is the one that Margie's mom wrote about her. I read that one in like middle school, which is also just a really, Awesome story um, about a fantastic horse person, but I think my favorite like fiction book would have to be uh, The Hearts of Horses by Molly Gloss. I think it came out in like the late nineties, um, so it's definitely older. But uh, it's set in like the beginning of like the nineteen hundreds um, when all of the men are at war, and this female like they call her a bronco buster, right? She's the lady that's gonna go break all the horses since the men are at war um and it's just super it's a super good book definitely a fun read uh molly gloss is one of my favorites so nice how about you justine
0: Oh, oh, my goodness. Well, so, you know, as a journalist, I read a lot um, and I've read a lot of horse books lately. Um, I just recently finished Robert Dover's book um, before we interviewed him. And uh, I've read Tick's book that I've I've really loved. But um, there are a couple of oldies that have stuck with me a long time. Monty Roberts book, the man who uh, listens to horses like I still have this original copy that my grandma gave me when I was a kid. Um, and I still read that from time to time. Uh, that's definitely a good one. And then um, I have a couple of other ones that I'm trying to think of recently that I've read that I really enjoyed. I know we both liked that Horse Crazy. Yeah, one. I really liked Sarah's book, Horse Crazy. That's probably one of the more recent ones. That one was really good. There's a newer one, too, that is
2: actually it's a it's a short a book of short stories, but it's all like it's called like
0: Horse Girls or something like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you read that? That one,
0: that one was I pretty good. It. It's on my list, though. Yeah.
1: Well, you guys let us know what's on your list and, you know, give us some input and everything else. And please let me know about the Horsewoman. That's what I'm really wanting to know about. But um, yeah, let us know what your favorite horse books are. Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition. From Purina Ultium Competition Formula to Purina Impact Pro Performance and everything in between, Purina has the right option for your horse, including supplements like Purina Super Sport Amino Acid Supplement, Purina Amplify High Fat Supplement, and Purina Outlast Gastric Support Supplement. There are so many choices for optimal nutrition when you choose Purina, all backed by science. Level up your performance this season. Put Purina's research to the test. Ask for your Purina at your local feed retailer today.
0: All right, everybody. I'm very excited to introduce our guest on this episode. We have Dr. Anna Pesta, who is a nutritionist, on the Equine Technical Solutions team at Purina Animal Nutrition, uh, Dr. Pesta is uh, knows Jess and Doug, which is great. Uh, obviously, they are also Purina ambassadors and um, feed their fleet of top level eventers and show jumpers Purina um, horse feeds, and so I'm excited to talk to Dr. Pesta a little bit more about nutrition and feeding the performance horse today. Welcome, Dr. Pesta. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Fresh off uh, a successful weekend for Doug. Right. A a really, truly amazing weekend and very fun to watch from afar. And I I feel like that's a great theme to start with, right? So Doug and Jess had multiple horses at the horse park in Kentucky over the weekend, competing at Mm -hmm. various levels of eventing and in the Grand Prix show jumping. Um, And obviously every horse has a different need, but- Mm -hmm. uh, talking about performance care, I think even for me as an amateur who likes to horse show on the weekends, I'm always thinking about, you know, what are the most important nutrients to consider when you're feeding a horse for performance?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess the first nutrient I kind of evaluate and care about are just calories. It's not, you know, not necessarily protein or vitamins. It's straight up: are we providing the horse with the right amount of calories it needs to do its job and look good doing it? So that might be a little simplistic, but um, I tend to start off by asking, you know, riders. How do you feel like your horse is looking? Is this you know good to you? Is this normal for him? And how do you feel like he's riding? And that at least gives me an idea of we're at least applying the right number of calories. Then we can do some tweaks within that. Or do we need to put this horse on a weight gain or a weight loss program? Or do they feel like the horse has enough oomph? And maybe we will look at um, tweaking the fuel mix a little bit, if you will.
0: Interesting. You know, and so something I always think about with horses that travel a lot, I mean, for Doug, Van Diver flew across the world to the Olympics mm-hmm. last year, right, is gastric care. We know that they're, they're animals that worry, right? And some of them like to internalize that worry. Uh, so yeah. for a performance ho- horse of that level, who's traveling a lot, um, mm-hmm. I feel like we've come a long way in understanding the nutritional needs for good gastric health in horses, but what are, what are your key points that all horse owners should keep in mind and, and maybe what should owners consider before they're thinking about trying a new product? Cause there, there are quite a few for gastric care or maybe even switching feeds.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is over the last several years, probably the area that has really blown up. And, you know, um, people and owners have gotten so much more educated about what we can do to support the horses' stomachs. So, first off, the base of a good gastric health prevention and maintenance program has to be plenty of good quality forage because if your horse is not eating enough hay or the hay isn't good enough quality that they want to eat a lot of it, then we're going to always be fighting kind of an uphill battle. So I look at the hay first and make sure they're eating enough of it. I can't tell you how many times I go in like a show barn and they say, yeah, everybody always has free choice hay all the time. We throw them all the hay they want but they don't necessarily have a good idea of how much that horse is actually like disappearing into their mouth every day versus how much is getting, you know, shoveled back out of the stall or, or whatever. So I make sure they're eating plenty of hay and that it's good quality. And then past that, obviously we have to make sure that if they have an active case of ulcers, they get scoped and treated with their vets because I don't care how much of whatever supplement you feed, it's never going to be able to heal an active case of ulcers. You don't get the kind of acid suppression like you would from Gastrogard and ulcer guard from anything that you're going to feed through. So in, enlisting the vet, getting the, the medical side taken care of is definitely on my radar. But past that, if, if we're talking about preventing issues or Um, maintaining all that good healing that we get done after we treat a horse that maybe already had a problem. Then I like to keep it relatively simple and make sure that um, we're following the basics, which is horses are grazing animals. They're meant to be consuming something for most of the day. And your enemy is their stomach sitting empty. So I want them to be offered as much forage throughout the day as, for, to snack on as they will eat. And then meals that are spaced appropriately, you know, sometimes you'll go in a barn where you know, everybody goes through and feeds at 4 p.m. And if they don't have a late night check where they throw more hay, those horses are standing around for a pretty long stretch with nothing going into their stomachs. So that can be kind of a pain point. And then past that, if we want to talk about supplements, there are a ton of them out there. And I would encourage people to look for things that, um, as we've kind of come up with this um, little mnemonic device at Purina, we say it needs to pass the test ride. Um, I can't take credit for the development of that one, uh, but R-I-D-E, as in look for research in horses with that actual product. I for ingredients, as in do the ingredients make sense. Um, there's a lot of good ingredients out there that have something to do with some part of the digestive system, but it, they don't necessarily all have any action against acid. Maybe it's stuff that the hindgut likes, for example, but if it has no buffering ability, it's not going to do anything for you for preventing gastric ulcers from an acid management standpoint per se. So like make sure the ingredients make sense. And then D is for dose. Um, Again, lots of cool stuff out there, but if it's just offered in a little sprinkling with 50 other ingredients in the formula, none of them are in there in a great enough amount to do anything noticeable for the horse, which is why keeping it simple again is good because you can have, you know, a couple of ingredients that have really good E is for efficacy. They have really good efficacy and they're in there in a high enough amount to do something in the stomach of a 1200 pound animal. So, um, you know, we, we've got outlast out there, which we have had a lot of success with in terms of seeing noticeable benefits for the horses. Um, the key is that it's a simple formula and it has enough impact on the environment of the stomach that the horse can kind of say, ah, I feel a difference and I am going to look better, feel better, eat better, you know, maintain my gastric health better. That was a long answer to health <laughs> recounts a huge, uh, topic. So we could do, you know, all day on that. Absolutely. But I feel like you,
0: you really hit the high points on what's important. And I like the ride acronym that that's a great thing to remember, but something you mentioned, Dr. Pesta, that I think, um, I'd love to explore a little bit further is you mentioned how the forage should come first, right? Um, mm-hmm a question we get a lot from our listeners is, you know, what makes a quote unquote balanced diet for horses? So I'm curious on your thoughts on how do you balance the needs for forage with, you know, with hmm. a horse that also eats grain.
3: Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. With any horse, I don't care how hard they're working or how much, you know, grain they need or how high their energy requirements are They're, You know, the base still has to be, they need to be getting the bulk of their calories from good quality forage. So that's the base. But past that, you know, forage can't supply everything they need. And, it, you know, even if it's all the calories they need for your easy keepers, you still need to meet their other nutrient requirements. So I will, at the very least, use a ration balancer, very aptly named, to supply the base, you know, the daily requirements for good amino acid. Uh, fortification, and then vitamins and minerals. Anytime you're looking to get a little more detailed about your horse's diet and want to do some balancing, I would definitely just say to think about consulting an actual equine nutritionist and somebody that can help you because it's pretty easy to wander the the back channels of the internet and the Facebook feed groups and kind of get off in the ditch a little bit in terms of Thinking that you need to go out and find you know a bag of pure magnesium to balance for this or that mineral, but uh, past that, if we're talking about your horses that need feed, so the not easy keepers, not ration balancer types, then I want to look at supplying calories and nutrients together. It's kind of a balancing act between fuel and structural components. So I want to find the feed that I can feed at the the right rate to get all their calorie needs met to keep them looking good and performing well, but that I can feed at a high enough level to meet their nutrient requirements. I think one of the most common errors I see people making is that they've chosen the wrong feed for that horse's calorie level, and it makes them not be able to feed the feed correctly. A senior feed is like the number one culprit for this because a lot of people like senior feeds because they're safe and digestible and they keep the horses cool and that sort of thing. But senior feeds are designed to be fed at like pretty high rates. You know, they're meant for the horses who are you know, losing their teeth and their guts are starting to go and we need to make up for the forage they're not able to process well. So we're talking about some horses that are living on 10, 12, 15 pounds of this feed a day and that feed's formulated for them. You got a performance horse, even if you know maybe they're bopping around training level and they don't have super high calorie needs, so they only need like half a scoop of senior morning and night. Maybe if they're easy keeping, they've got some pretty decent gaps in terms of their nutrition um, because they need something more concentrated in amino acids and vitamins and minerals. So I would just say you can keep yourself out of trouble a lot of times by choosing a feed that's truly meant for that type of horse. And we've got performance feed options at every spot along the calorie ladder from your easy keepers to your extremely hard keepers and everything in between.
5: That's
0: fascinating because you're right. I know so many people that feed a senior feed thinking it's it's better for their gut. It's easier for them to digest, but they're still performance horses. And and you feel like, if, just speaking anecdotally from what I've seen mm-hmm. in that horse that's you know eventing every weekend in the spring is also on like seven supplements to, to <laughs> make them for what they're not getting in their, yeah. their feed, right?
3: Yeah, that is such a good point because I think a lot of times you could simplify and improve your feeding program by choosing the right feed, which allows you to minimize your supplementation. I've hardly ever, and I go in a lot of different types of barns. I hardly ever find the need to have more than just a couple supplements in the feed room and they're for, you know, targeted situations. So if you find yourself with a really extensive supplement collection, that's a signal that you need to really reevaluate the base feed. Interesting.
0: So Dr. Pesto, the next couple of questions I have are directly from our listeners. Uh, nice. Many were very excited to hear that we were having a nutritionist on the show. <laughs> so I had to, I had to sift through a, bit, a bajillion questions and I picked the ones that were asked by like multiple times by multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of supplements, uh, I feel like this is one we've all thought about at some point. So I'm just, I'm going to ask you it just how it was written. Cause I, it's very direct. Okay. And (laughs) um, readers want to know when it comes to feed through joint supplements, are any of them actually legit? (laughs) (laughs) That's
3: a good one. And it's one of the most common like performance horse nutrition questions I get. Um, So I will give you our position as the group of PhD nutritionists that I work with and the opinion of most, you know, with it, sports medicine type vets I talked to. And that is that we have a bit more faith in the efficacy of your Adequan and your legend type um, options for horses that truly need help. By the time you can tell a difference when you're using something versus not, that horse is to the point where they will get more benefit and you will get more bang for your buck out of let's just say a bottle of adaquan compared to a year's worth of a joint supplement. Not that we sell either one so I am I'm biased in this, but um there is some, you know, there's pieces of data out there on some um supplements um well maybe one in particular and a couple ingredients that actually were able to show improved stride length and differences in like ground force. But that tends to be, um, if you feel compelled to supplement your horse for joint purposes, I would say choose a really good quality one from a really reputable, established company. And it is one place. Uh, sometimes you get what you pay for, Um, but I hardly ever find myself recommending joint supplements. Interesting. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So another,
0: uh, another top question we had is, do you have any tips or tricks for picky eaters who maybe don't want to finish their food or they eat around their supplements?
3: Yes. Um, number one, I want to know if there's a reason they're being picky in their body physiologically. So number one would be, does their stomach hurt? Do we need to address ulcers? It always seems to come back around in one way or another. Ulcers are the root of a lot of problems. Um, But that's a really good sign that their stomach hurts is that they're becoming picky eating, or sometimes it's with their concentrate. And sometimes it's with their hay. If they're becoming a bad hay eater, uh, maybe it's because they don't, Feel good, but then it becomes a vicious cycle. You, you know, my stomach hurts, so I don't eat my hay, but now I haven't eaten my hay, so my stomach hurts. Um, so, A, find out if they got ulcers and treat them. B, you know, horses are allowed to have preferences too. And we have a whole section of our research farm actually out in St. Louis that is devoted to the art and science of. Palatability and figuring out what they like and why and how they prefer to eat certain things. So, you know, sometimes about flavor, smell, texture, dose, things like that. But there's a lot of different feeds out there for a reason. Like I like to say, we've got I don't know, 50 different horse products, for example, maybe at this point. If there weren't differences in preference, both from the human owner and the horse, we could probably get away with about six feeds. So maybe it's time for a change, and maybe they do want something more palatable. Um, there's no reason to be, you know, too scared of textured feeds. Um, there's a lot of upper level event horses that are fueled by, you know, things like Omaline 500, for example. I mean, dogs on the back because. I hope he's okay with me saying this. He is a picky eater who prefers it, and that horse needs to get his fuel for his work into him. So um, we're not going to sit there and force him to go on a hunger strike because he doesn't like a big pile of high fat, high fiber pellets. Right. Um, yeah. And one other thing, I'll just you know pick on the eventers a little bit again. I think a lot of us really like to feed a big bowl of mush slop everybody likes to feed wet and sometimes they just don't like that and they want it back dry again (laughs) so don't force the issue on the the mush if you don't have to oh
0: that's a great point like I live in Florida and I feel like everybody wants to do that right Um, Uh uh-huh like add more water
3: yeah
0: (laughs) that's really interesting okay so Dr. Pesa, I got one more question for you. Um, I feel like this was an interesting one to end on. Uh, this was asked by a couple of listeners. They want to know, should horses be avoiding molasses and sugar in their feeds? And if so, why do we see that as you know a fairly common ingredient in most commercial feed brands? Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. No single ingredient is either good or evil you know, within reason. So molasses is a prime example. Some people get scared of alfalfa and some people are freaky about, you know, take your pick of ingredient, Um, but molasses or sugar in itself is not, you know, an evil ingredient. There are certain horses with metabolic conditions that certainly, you know, we know the science says that they do need to be fed diets that are lower in soluble carbohydrates. And molasses is one of the more common sources of sugar, which is one of the soluble carbs, sugar and starch, both um, in their diets. However, that doesn't mean that a feed for a metabolic horse can't ever have molasses listed in the ingredient listing. We make some extremely low sugar and starch products that, you know, if you read the ingredient listing, molasses might show up in there, but this is where the dose makes the poison. So if I think people probably overestimate how much of the feed is made up by each individual ingredient and molasses is definitely one of those. We're talking very low amounts. It does not take much when you're using molasses just as a hint of of something to improve the taste of something. You can still have a feed that's super low sugar and starch. So there's that aspect of it. Then I would also like to just let everybody know that some soluble carbohydrate is not necessarily a bad thing for healthy horses. If we're asking these horses, they're athletes, and we need to fuel them as such, and we need to provide them with um, a diverse fuel mix, and their bodies do need some soluble carbs. Not and and there's individual variation in that too. Not everybody can be fueled by fat and fiber alone. And um, this is get this gets into exercise physiology, which is a whole nother thing. But there's aerobic and anaerobic exercise, and they burn different fuel sources during those types of work. And a little bit of soluble carb is very important to replace the muscle glycogen the muscle fuel that they store so if you have a horse that you work really hard and then only refeed him that night with hay his muscles the next day are not fully recovered definitely not packed back full of muscle glycogen and ready to go jump stadium with with very much spring in his step the next day so I could go way on and on with that, but for healthy horses, um, people don't need to be afraid of a little bit of soluble carb and um, our modern uh, call them, you know sweet feeds we call them textured feeds these days because they're honestly not that sweet. they are not nearly as high in like corn and oats and molasses as your old timey you know grandpa's sweet feed so. Some horses do just go better on a different blend. I have come across many upper level horses, especially that have gone well on high fat and fiber feeds, you know, up to that certain point, but you get to where you're asking so much of them and maybe you're asking for a little bit more oomph and it's time to just change up the fuel source and see if they feel a little better in their body on a little more balanced blend. So. Interesting. Again, long answer for, for that, but it's Lots an art things. and a science.
0: Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I feel like, you know, every horse's needs uh, change over time, right? Like what you said with mm-hmm. performance. So it's important to, I, I think, consider that at certain points with, you know, with one horse. Um, but overall, Dr. Pesta, this, is, this has been wonderful. Very interesting. I took a lot of notes from myself and my own horse. Good. <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate you joining us.
3: Well, anytime I'm happy, anytime y'all want to talk nutrition, there are, I know so many topics out there and this is what we love doing, you know, so we're not always stuck in our offices, you know, formulating rations. It's mostly doing consults and talking to people about their real horses.
1: Our next guest is Carly Cade. She is an award-winning author, horse owner, creative coach, and host of the Equestrian Authors Spotlight podcast. She helps fellow riders start, grow, and expand their author careers. Creative writing makes her spurs jingle. Carly's In the Rains Equestrian Romance book series has written with the horse lovers in mind, no matter what discipline they ride. Horses are as vital to moving the story forward as the human characters are. These books are perfect for the poolside, take it to the beach, or settle down after a day of the horseback riding. Carly, welcome.
5: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on.
5: Oh, I love the show.
1: Oh, thank you. So you're obviously an author yourself, but in addition to your own writing, you lead your own podcast, what is a great, unique topic for your podcast? What inspired you to start that show?
5: Yeah, so the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast was created with assisting other authors in mind, right? When I first started writing horse books, I was there, there's a lot of information out there for authors and lots of podcasts. And my big thing is educate, educate, educate yourself. But there was nothing that really narrowed down into the niche of writing about horses. So I was like, I wish I had a resource like this when I started out. So I created the podcast and I have authors join the show. I I love to, my my big tagline is authors unite. I love to support other authors. They're not our competition. Uh, We're not competition when we support each other, we lift everybody up. And so the podcast is all about that, putting spotlights on people who are writing about horses, learning what's working for them and what isn't. Um, You know, I always ask them, what's the best thing about being an author and what's the hardest thing about being an author. So we're all info sharing on the show. And um, I, I'm having so many fun conversations and just loving, loving running this podcast.
2: How and when did you know you wanted to be an author yourself? Kind of what made you jump into pursuing writing and becoming an author as a career?
5: You know, it's, that's such an interesting question. I had always been in, you know, like advanced English courses and my majors communications. And I always liked uh, creative writing, and I would always write little stories when I was a little girl. In fact, I won a young authors competition when I was in first grade. But it was never—I was never aspiring to be an author. Uh, and then, all throughout my, you know, twenties, and and as I started to be adult, I always carried around a journal, and I used to like to write poems. I always thought maybe I was more of a poet. And then uh, I took a break from horses, as most people do after college, and went and worked in New York City for five years in the music industry, but I missed horses desperately. So when I was promoted back to a place where I could have horses, I bought a horse again. And I found that (laughs) so much had changed in the time I was away from horses, from my childhood horse to owning a horse as an adult. So I was going through all these experiences. And I uh, one day was sitting at the bar and writing in my journal. And all of a sudden, this story showed up. It started out as a poem where I, and it's actually the introduction to the first book in the series, In the Rains. And this these characters came to mind. And then I sat down and hand wrote for like three hours, the entire end of the book. So I had to start and I had an ending. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? And you know, I didn't I didn't take it seriously. I kept putting it to the side, but it kept bothering me that story. It was like the muse wanted me to tell it. So finally I sat down and I I wrote the book and it and now it's a series. So I have four books deep and it's continuing to go. So it's almost like something called me forward to do this, uh, but I didn't aspire to write books. It just kind of happened.
2: That's really awesome. Do you have any tips for, you know, people who have manuscript ideas, but really don't know where to start, especially in the the horse equine book
5: industry? Yeah. I mean, my biggest tip would be if there's a story calling you forward, sit down and write it and that's the hardest part is just sitting down and writing it i you know once you write a book there it's a big learning curve right you cannot think about the whole picture you have to take it in like baby steps so if you have an idea for a story sit down and write it that's something calling you forward but also i i talk about this a lot on the podcast really educate 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 yourself there's so many great craft books out there you can read about how to plot or what to do. Listen to the equestrian author spotlight for ideas, how these other authors have done it. I mean, if I can do it and it was an uphill battle, anyone can do it. And I think most authors, when they have an idea and they want to write a book, they struggle with just sitting down and making the time to create it, you know, because there's all that self-doubt, you know, who am I to write a book? Can I actually do this? You know, you just have to sit down and do the work. So if you've got an idea, that means you have a book in you. And I say, go for it.
1: So you talk about the learning curve and all of that. What is one thing you wish you knew at the start
5: of your writing career that you now know? Oh, there's so many things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing I would say is that it's, it's a long game. You're not going to write a book and have it be an instant bestseller generally. I mean, there are the fairy tales that happen, but you know, it's a long game. Uh, the way to make money as an author and, and grow your author careers to build your backlist. The more books you write, the more you're out there talking to people, the more people learn about you. And that's how to generate success as an author. And then don't rush. You know, So many of us are in a rush to get the first book out. And you know, sometimes you just have to rip the Band-Aid off and do it, but don't rush because it, it's a process. And if you rush the process, you're going to miss something. Educate yourself don't rush, know what's going to happen, sit in the seat, write the book, and then find a really good editor. Because typos, even when you read, you know, like a traditionally published book, there's always something that's missed, even if it's minute, look over your manuscript and have someone else do it for you because you start missing things because you spend so much time with those words. So that was like five things, but you know, those, those are the big tips. (laughs) No, that's huge still. No, it's awesome.
2: So, going back to your podcast, do you have a favorite interview or a favorite memory from your podcast that you can share with us?
5: Sure. There's a there's a couple things. I'm really excited. Uh, This is all podcasting is also a long game, uh, but I just celebrated my hundredth episode. So, my Ah, congratulations. Yeah, my husband kind of got thrown into the horse world, and when I ask him to show up, he does. When I ask him to stand behind the camera or the microphone, he will. Uh, So, he interviewed me on my very first episode. And then he just finished uh, uh, interviewing me on the hundredth episode, so those are always really that's super cute. Yeah, people get to see a little bit about how our relationship is, and and you know we talk and we we don't hold anything back. But uh, there were two moments that I really remember from the podcast, and and these were tips that in words of wisdom that really helped me. One is Rennie Dieball uh, said. Don't be afraid if you feel like your muse is burned out. It always comes back. Sometimes that creativity needs time to rest. And that is certainly the case as you write books. You know, you're always afraid at the end. Can I write another one? Can I do this again? You know, and, it, it, and you have another mountain to climb. But it, if you feel like it's burned out, it always comes back. And then Angelica Witherspoon Casanova is a screenwriter in Hollywood. And she said, you know, that's the land of rejection, Right. She said, there is always a yes. And, you know, getting rejected is part of the process. So just keep going. Every no leads you to that one yes. So I love those things.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was so fun. And we will have to have everybody tune into your podcast. Um, I really loved your input for, like you said, helping everybody and getting people like to get their creative minds out there. So thank you so much.
5: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I enjoy your show. I love the name Heels Down Happy Hour. Can't get any better than that. If we were in the evening, I'd be having a cocktail with you. Yes,
2: absolutely. (laughs) And do you just want to tell everybody where they can find um, your books?
5: Absolutely. My books are wherever uh, books are sold. It's the In the Rain series. There's four books in the series so far. I'm writing book five now. And uh, my website is CarlyCadeCreative.com. That's uh, Carly with a C, K-A-D-E. And you can get to all my social channels that way as well. I'm pretty much at Carly Cade Creative across the board.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Carly.
5: Thank you. Have a great
1: day. Well, it's that time. It's Rose and Thorne. Do you guys want me to go first or do one of you guys want to go? Why don't I mean, you go I'm pretty sure I know what your rose is going to be. I know, be, right? But... Like, I mean, <laughs> the thorn is going to be the kicker that you don't know, but it's a really one. It's it's not really a thorn. It's just, I think I'm still out of breath from it. So I'll start with that. My thorn is when everybody watched Star Witness dump dug into the ditch. What they didn't see on the video was that Courtney and I watched her bridal come off. So we were all the way at the start and finish. We ran all the way up the hill. I tracked down a golf cart like two thirds of the way as I'm like still not breathing very well. And then we sprint up and then we keep running. And by the time we get, I lost my phone in the process. Like I'm finding it. I get up to him and Doug's like, she was eating grass the whole time. We thought she would be loose. So that's why we took off running because we're like, oh my goodness, they're not gonna be able to get a halter or a bridle on her. So we take up running. I think I burned like 500 calories in that sprint. I was like (laughs) so exhausted. I was like, (laughs) I'm so mad at her and she's like one of my favorite horses, right? I'm like, I'm so mad at you. I'm not even mad you stopped. I'm not even mad Doug fell off. I'm mad I am physically exhausted right now. (laughs) Like it was cardio I didn't want or need. (laughs) Like it was (laughs) literally. And she's just like, what? I want to be back. Oh, and I have video of it. Like my mom was standing right there. She goes and all she looks at the crowd and like most horses would like trot, run away, do something. She just starts eating. Like, full on chowing down on the bluegrass grass. And I was like, I can't, I can't help you. And she's like, but mom, I was starving. I'm like, you're not starving. We feed you a lot. And I give you lots of (laughs) treats." So my thorn is that I ran halfway across the Kentucky horse park, thinking my horse is running around loose. And in reality, she was just hungry.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) So it was so funny and so bad at the same time. And then it was so bad. And then my rose is, yes, that quantum leap. Like, who knew he was going to step up? So it was, uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it was so many emotions that weekend between, you know, Star Witness, Van Diver, and Quantum really stepping up. Um, that's my rose and thorn all in one. What about you, so, you Ellie?
2: Oh, boy. Um, well, okay. My I'll start my rose because my rose is easy. Um, I... I'm kind of <laughs> I made bad choices, but it ended up being okay. Um, so <laughs> that basically is the story of my life. Um, so I posted in the group that I I kind of acquired another horse, which is is my is a good thing, um, but also a bad thing because it's just another <laughs> another thing to worry about. But aside from that, I've ridden my horses like berkeley and q maybe like 15 times to total like together um since the beginning of the year and i decided to take them and horse show them this weekend uh and i showed berkeley in the ranch horse which god bless him was like why am i dressed like this um what am i doing here but They both were really good um, and Q was really competitive and Berkeley got a lot of laughs and he only managed to spook like four little quarter horses this time, which is an improvement. Um, Usually he spooks quite a bit more of them. So I guess that would be my uh, rose is that I've got this new horse that I'm really excited about um, that I did a little uh, mini mini sewed for. Um, that you guys should totally check out on Patreon and that my ponies were good at their first horse show, despite the fact that we were all out of shape. So that was fun. Uh, and then my thorn is that it's starting to get too hot. And I know that's weird to say, but I don't like heat. So I'm annoyed that I'm going to have to start night turnout, uh, probably today, uh, cause the bugs are coming out and, uh, it's not, not going to be fun. So I, I, Those are not fun times for me, especially since Matt's horse is allergic to fly saliva. So he like does that thing where he like rubs his whole stomach completely raw and rubs out all of his mane. And I guess it's pretty common and with halflingers. But so I'm not excited for bug season. I'm not. That's my thorn.
0: How about you, Justine? Don't even talk to me about the heat, Okay, It's already summer here. Yeah. So, uh, I guess my rose is right now I'm in the Bahamas. Uh, literally I'm literally in the Bahamas. So I'm here celebrating my dad who officially retired. He just sold his last restaurant. My, My dad owns restaurants. Yeah. Um, so very excited for him. And I'm here with my brother and his wife and my husband and my parents and looking forward to a long weekend just with family hanging out. So yeah, I don't, I just, it's really hard to have a thorn when you're in the Bahamas. I'm not going to lie guys. Um, so I would say my other rose is that Mikey has, uh, really settled well into the new dressage barn and life is going well for him. Like he, he's very relaxed and very chill there. Like he's lived there his whole life. Um, which is always great when your horse makes an easy transition in a new place. Right. So, um, yeah, we're really loving all the people there. Everyone's so friendly and accommodating. And Mikey's like, this is great. So, you know, this is sort of like the beginning of our off season as it gets hot, you know. So, yeah, it all all is going well over here. Well, the Bahamas will do that.
1: I was going to say,
0: yeah, it's sort of it's sort of hard not to have a good day when you're here. All right, so we've got a mailbag, and this came uh, as an email from a younger listener. Her name is Anya, and she wants to know what we think about positive reinforcement in training for horses. She's wondering, have we used it? She heard it can be a lot slower than regular, quote-unquote, negative reinforcement, and wanted to know what we think. Anya is 14, and she wants to own a horse, but doesn't know if she's ready for the responsibility. Sounds like a pretty mature 14 year old to me. If she's questioning that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause when I was 14, I didn't, I wanted all the horses. Um, yeah. I didn't but, care. <laughs> <What's
1: the responsibility? laughs> didn't care. Didn't care about the reinforcement part of it. I just was wanting. Yeah. Horse. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I feel
0: like this, I, I don't want to call it a new age way of horse training, but it's something we're hearing more and more about lately. So, I don't know, Jess, do you want to start just about how you incorporate some of these things into your routine?
1: Yeah. I mean, we haven't done the whole like kind of trend of the positive reinforcement um in the sense of like the clickers and all that, but we um what we say is we do it more based on each type of horse. Like there are all different kinds of ways to do like reinforcement training in a sense. So some is slower, some is uh, more on track, but it's mainly based on horses and like different types of attitude and what they can handle and everything. And so, but the biggest thing for me is not, you know, obviously, yes, you want to do the training and everything else. But when you're 14 and stuff like that, what the responsibility comes with it is also the training, but it also, also the care and the time and the energy and all of that. So what I would say is like, if you're not sure if you're ready or and stuff, I would almost look into, if you're not taking, you know, weekly or a couple times a week lessons, do that to start, or maybe look into seeing some sort of like lease option, whether it's like a half lease or something like that, that you can then Kind of take more responsibility in that horse and see, you know, if you can do it in a training program, that's even better so that you can kind of have some guided advice and everything. That's what I would say to see if you're ready to own a horse is try to find ways to kind of put your foot in the door without having to jump all the way to the deep end.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. I mean, I've been actually exploring a lot of the uh, positive and negative reinforcements lately um, and for for listeners who don't really completely understand, it's not necessarily like negative is not necessarily negative. Um, it's just uh, whether you're taking something away or giving something, right? So like if I'm teaching my dog to sit, right, a positive reinforcement would be giving a treat. Um, so it's the same kind of deal with horses when they do the clicker training. A lot of it has to do with um, treating at the sound of the clicker. I would encourage you to do some research. There's actually a lot of really interesting um liberty trainers that have really good information, uh, both on YouTube and through podcasts, if, especially if that's the kind of training technique you really want to explore. Uh, but I would definitely do a Jess said and see what you can do in terms of leasing to kind of get your feet wet before you go all in on, um, the responsibility of a, of a horse. And I think that's really good on you being so young and being so mature for being so responsible uh, and doing what's best by the horse and making sure that you're ready enough as a rider and as a
0: horse person to take on the responsibility. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, you can send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com and send it that way. Or you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. We have lots of great discussions there. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash Spark by HD. We want to say thank you to our partners this week, Purina. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.